the best piece of advice I ever got was probably when I was 22 or 23 and I uh, just got back from uh, my first military deployment and I was back in college and one of uh, my advisors, they said, you can't please everybody. So I am a person that tries to please everybody, not so much anymore, but back in the day I was trying to make everybody happy with the decisions that I would make, the things that I would say. But going back to that perfection, it's impossible. Hello, fellow imperfectionist, and welcome back to another episode of Picking at Perfection. Today, we are so fortunate to welcome Coach Bastian, personal development coach, speaker, and best-selling author to the podcast. Bastian shares some wonderful insights. He really does have a wealth of knowledge. We discuss a lot about diversity, and we talk a lot about privilege, and we really connected over gender expectations as well. Something that has always influenced me is society's perception of what is the perfect man and his personal reason for changing his gender, which he was so kind to, to share with us. He also showed me that he himself as well is not perfect and shared a time that he was called out for something that he posted on social media. He really is a great example of converting this into a learning um, and using that information to empower others as well. My biggest takeaway was his generosity of spirit and the mindset that we are all human and we should celebrate what unites us um, and not necessarily dwell so much on what makes us different. If you want to hear more from Bastian or follow him or connect with him, I've linked all of his socials in the show notes. Just a warning before we get into the episode, there are references to needles and also to the military. So if you find any of these upsetting, please do turn off now. Huge welcome, Bastian. Thank you so much for joining me today. It'd be really interesting, Bastian, to hear your take on the word perfection, what you think it means to you and your experience of it. So for me, perfection is something that a lot of people might strive for, but it's not something that can really be achieved. Because when you're striving for perfection, there's always going to be something that you can nitpick. What we should really strive for is enough. And perfection also impedes our ability to move on and move forward in the next step of our process of whatever we're trying to achieve. A lot of times if you're trying to go and get something done quickly and get it out to people, you just need to get it to be enough, which is going to be good quality that's going to impact people because that's your ultimate goal is creating a positive impact on others. And if you keep going for perfection, that product that you're trying to get out is never going to get out and then Mm. you're never going to help people. And so the main thing is getting something that's going to impact people and getting it out to those people. Mm, Definitely. I agree. I love that. um, The phrase there, the impact of of things. I think that's a really crucial thing to, to think about. And what you talked about at the start of that as well, nitpicking, I think that that's something that is so unwelcome from my side. I think some people, when they say, oh, I'm a perfectionist, I think actually what they mean is that they're a micromanager and that they're going to pick at everything. Um, and sort of, you know, it's that that old phrase of um, you want something done, do it yourself. That's the kind of same bracket of people, in my opinion, that exactly. they want it done in a specific way. And I just feel like turning around to them and telling them to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, let's um let's go into sort of your career and background, Bastian. And we're going to start with the the military. Um, and when I sort of say and think about the military, I don't think I can think of another industry that would be a more of a kind of perfectionist industry or um job kind of type uh, with the sort of routines and the rigorous training. Is that kind of a stereotype that I'm drawing on, or was that kind of similar to your experience? I think, especially in the United States. 
people look up to people in the military. If I'm walking in uniform out in the community, at least one person will say, thank you for your service to me. People might want to shake my hand. Uh, I've had people stop once in a race because I was just standing on the sidelines of a 5K and she stopped and wanted a picture with me. And so people look at us and look up to us because they see us as a example and a standard of possibly the American way of life, uh, of what it means to serve and protect the United States. Uh, But not everyone understands what it's like to actually be in the service and wearing the uniform. If you pull the curtain back, we are humans just like everybody else. Uh, We just had the physical and mental ability to serve and had the privilege to do so. Um, I've been in the military for about 10 years now. This November is going to be November 2021 is 10 years. I joined when I was 17 and it really formed me into the person I am today. And I'm proud of the person I am today. And so it's definitely something that people don't quite get, but they look up to. They might not ever understand the experience, but they are proud of the people that serve. And I feel like that can translate to LGBTQ plus people. Not everybody knows what it means to be queer, but a lot of times if you tell, especially if I tell people I'm trans, they're like, oh, you're so brave. (laughs) But for me, that's just that's just me. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to draw the similarities between my identity as a soldier and my identity as a transgender person and as a bisexual queer person. And you get varied reactions from everybody when you say each of those things. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, are there many sort of, um, you said about comparing the the, the two experiences um, and drawing similarities. Are there many similarities? Has the, the two experiences kind of helped you in either way? Yeah, one thing that I find very interesting that I realized probably a couple of years ago is a similarity between the military and queer people is that different kinds of people from different walks of life are in each. If Mm. you look at the United States military, we have people from all different races, ethnicities, religions, sexualities, and now open gender identities. And that is similar to the queer community. We have people that identify as gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer, transgender, and many of the other non cisgender heteronormative identities within the queer community. It affects people from all walks of life. And that's the biggest similarity that I've drawn between the two. Mm -hmm. Well, firstly, I'm learning so much already, because even though I am part of the LGBTQ plus community, I'm so not up on as as much as I probably should be on all the kind of phrases and the different terms and and things like that. And I want to draw on um, some of the original points you made about being in the military. So first of all, that you were 17 when you first joined. I mean, wow, that is insane. And and how your longevity of service is very impressive. I loved how you called it a privilege to serve. Um, I think that's a really nice way of, of thinking of it. And what a privilege as well to be sort of thanked by the the members of the public that you have been. I find that so insane. I think that um, here in the UK, maybe we're a bit more sort of uh, held back and, and not so open as it is in America. Um, I don't know if you've experienced it in the UK, but us Brits are maybe a bit more on the negative side. So I love that people came up to you in, in public and called you brave for both being a soldier um, and both being a part of the trans community as well. And I think that when you said people need to sort of understand that underneath the the uniform, 
you're just human. I think that that is so accurate for so many people, positions, um, job roles. I often think about it. So we see a lot of law cases against, um, you know, doctors for sort of malpractice or when things have gone wrong on in, in surgery, for example. I find that kind of an injustice because I, for one, don't get sued at my job when I do something wrong. And, you know, maybe they were just having a bad day. It's a really kind of difficult thing to to hold a human accountable to kind of these crazy high expectations um, of the of the kind of the, the members of the public, really. Yeah, I definitely find it interesting. But I also feel like we have a responsibility when we hold such powerful positions. Um, it's definitely something when I go out to like a gay bar and people ask me what I do, I don't always say that I'm in the military because there are different views. And especially within the last two years after George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police officers in Minneapolis. And that's the state that I live in. And I live just 20 minutes in a suburb of Minneapolis now. And being in the Minnesota National Guard, that means I respond to the governor even before the president of the United States. And so I was activated in the civil unrest that happened after. And it was a difficult position because I serve in the military, but I also support the people that protest because we have that first amendment right in the United States. And that's one of the things that I serve for. But it was difficult in that time because I wanted to be there for the BIPOC community, especially the black community, in ways that I could not be. And so that was a hard thing to balance. And mm-hmm. that's something I think that people don't always realize that we are balancing. Going back to we, have, we wear the uniform, but we're also human. And we get varied reactions uh to people in, in the queer community. And that's why I don't always say that I'm in the military because some people have really strong feelings and some people have trauma associated with military members. We have a high Somali immigrant population and Hmong immigrant population in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And so a lot of those people are refugees from countries and places where the militaries treated them awfully, including Mm -hmm. torture and killing civilians. And so they came to the U.S. to get away from that. And so when they see a uniform, it's almost reliving that trauma. And so I try and be extra mindful of situations that that could happen in. Mm -hmm. And it's a balance that can be hard to strike. And it's difficult when you get so many different opinions and reactions from, again, across race, ethnicity, religion, gender of support and not support. Um, So I go back to just trying to be a good human when it comes to that. Wow. You sound like a very considerate individual. Um, And and that's amicable. That's, you know, um, a really good characteristic to have. I definitely find myself overwhelmed with people's opinions um, because there are so many. Um, Nowadays, everyone has an opinion about the way that you live your life, whether that is welcome or not, they will surely give it to you. So it sounds like you're you're balancing all of that really well um, and sort of staying true to yourself at the same time as well, which I think is a, a really difficult thing to do. But the sort of um, the trans, the LGBTQ and the military sounds like they all make you up as a person and you're true to each of those in different ways at the same time. The biggest thing, the best piece of advice I ever got was probably when I was 22 or 23 and I uh, just got back from uh, my first military deployment and I was back in college and one of uh, my advisors, they said, you can't please everybody. So I am a person that tries to please everybody, not so much anymore, but back in the day I was trying to make everybody happy with the decisions that I would make, the things that I would say. 
But going back to that perfection, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. No matter, I could say I love mac and cheese and there's going to be, there's 7 billion people. There's going to be somebody that uh, will maybe not like me because of that. Uh, but then getting to more serious matter, I'm in the military. There's going to be people that just because of that, it doesn't matter that I'm trans or bisexual or queer. They will not like me or support me because I am the United States military. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because not everybody is your people. And as I feel like as long as you're not trying to do harm and you're actively trying to improve yourself and be there for others, that's what really makes the difference. And being for me now, after being in transition for five plus years, I walk on the street. I look like a straight cisgender white man. That gives me immense privilege, especially in the United States. And I'm actively trying to learn a lot of the racist things that I've grown up with. Being in the Midwest, being in Minnesota, there there's a lot of white supremacy. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to do my own due diligence. I've been called out for things and it's super uncomfortable. And it is very intentional of things that I've said or done, but I was held accountable by uh, usually black, indigenous or other people of color. And yeah, it doesn't feel good, but it's necessary because that's what they live with every day. Mm -hmm. And that was like what I lived with when I wasn't passing as a cisgender white man. And I was looking very queer. There were experiences that really hurt. I've been called a faggot before uh, just for being out with my partner in high school. And I've been followed. And luckily, that's it's been narrowed to just a couple incidents. But that's also brings back to my white privilege. And so acknowledging that and working to learn more about the experiences of other marginalized identities and how I can best support them. And I like to think of it as I'm the person that I'm going to get the microphone from somebody and I'm going to be say like, thanks. And then hand it to the person that really needs the microphone, because often the other marginalized identities just aren't even getting the opportunity to get the microphone to speak their truth. And so I like to be that person that because I have the access, I'm going to grab it and then hand it over so they can speak. Well, that is incredibly admirable. You, I, I'm just blown over by how selfless you are, um, because even... I mean, from my perspective, um, going through transition must be so difficult. Um, and, and you are, you know, 100% so brave for, for going through that. And then even if you were sort of offered the the position or the opportunity or the, the platform that you have to, to speak out, you're giving that opportunity to, to other people. I, 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 I'm just speechless how selfless that is. It's, it's incredible. Well, it's one of those things that I, I don't see it that way. I just mm. see it as that's the necessary and right thing to do Mm. Um, i don't know what some of like the race relations and stuff are in the uk but i'm sure you've seen on the news how it has been in the u.s because it made international attention Mm. and so it can be a lot here and but i have the opportunity and privilege to turn off the news and live my life like essentially unaffected Um, but that's that's not the way to live Mm. in my opinion and especially not for me as a person that wants to help uh, queer entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And I, I think that, or or certainly for me, um, as I said, I, you know, I'm not the most up-to-date or aware person. I, I guess I probably am aware of the issues that affect me more so than as you're saying about being aware for, for other, um, smaller sort of unrepresented communities. 
But something that always maybe holds me back is this sort of fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, even sort of, you know, writing up today's um, episode and, and show notes to talk about sort of the the gender transition that you're, you're going through. I want to be very cautious because I don't want to say the wrong thing. I guess similarly to what you were saying about um, that you had someone call you out on something you'd said in your past and that, that that wasn't ideal. I really want to avoid that, but then I guess I'm probably doing everybody a disservice by not looking into it and, and not at least trying to, to speak out and trying to, to understand. But I think uh, communication sort of needs to be more free because we live in a, a sort of cancelled culture for, you know, cancelling people for past mistakes and things like that. Um, and I find that really difficult and and scary and, and worrying um, because I don't want to, to say the wrong thing against any kind of um, minority or, or um, community. Yeah, I totally understand that. I think as white people, it's really important to be willing to get uncomfortable mm. because that's how a lot of other race and ethnicity marginalized identities live every day. They do so much emotional labor on the daily to try and educate white people. And then even if you translate it to the LGBTQ community, uh, me being on this podcast, I look at it as more of an invitation for you to ask me some of those questions that you might be uncomfortable asking because I am willingly putting me myself in this position to help you understand and help the listeners understand. Uh, you shouldn't, nobody should just message somebody on Instagram and be like, hey, what's in your pants? <laughs> Never do that. Don't ask them what their past name was. Don't do anything like that unless there's that open invitation that they want to share. And those aren't appropriate questions to ask on this podcast either, <laughs> but it's an opportunity to start to develop that understanding. And that's what I do with my coaching and speaking engagements and writing. I am putting myself in that position because I have the privilege and the mental and emotional capacity to do so. I'm not emotionally drained on the daily uh, for being transgender anymore because I have that passing privilege and I'm white. It's just not there like it is for a lot of other people. And so knowing when and where to ask those questions and more importantly, to do the self-education and mm. listen to podcasts, uh, read books, follow uh, BIPOC people on Instagram that are doing the work and putting out the information. And what's important too is when you're able and you can afford it, pay them. A lot of people on Instagram be like, hey, here's my Venmo Cash app, whatever, because they are putting out so much education for free that if you're able to send them 50 bucks, send them $100, buy their books to help support them because they likely aren't making a lot in their day job. They likely aren't being compensated in the way that they should for all the emotional labor that they're putting out. And I think sometimes we take that for granted. We don't even think about that. They're just like, oh, we we appreciate you so much for giving us all this information. It's like, okay, now send them some money because everything that they just said is a $25 book. Mm. No, I love that. I guess... um. With with honesty in mind, then I I guess the the burning question I have is how how did you know for sure that you wanted to to change gender? Yeah, so I have a unique story, and I say unique story in that it's not the one that's often portrayed in the media. I I feel like more of these stories are coming out similar to mine, where I didn't know since I was a kid. Some people would be like, I didn't want to wear the dress when I was four years old. I remember going to church in a dress, and I, I was fine with it. I remember wearing my prom dress when I was in uh, 11th grade, so when I was like 16, 17, and I thought I looked pretty damn good. I even <laughs> thought like my chest look good in the dress 
And I was not dysphoric about it. Um, I knew I was bisexual in high school, uh, probably by middle school, but I embraced it more in high school. And then it was when I went to college that I decided I'm like, oh, I'm going to try this thing called a binder on to compress my chest. And I'm like, oh, this this feels good. And I started wearing more masculine clothing. And it was more of a progression of like, oh, this actually feels better. And so then I tried different pronouns and eventually a couple different names. And that's kind of how I landed where I am today being like, this is what feels right. And so it was more of the progression of this is who I actually am and the gut feeling to follow. Um, and so it really yeah, started when I was probably 18 or 19 years old and I'm 27 years old today. And it's just been a journey that way. And that's one of the reasons I think I add queer onto my identity is because I still, I don't feel like I'd be comfortable wearing a dress today because that's not who I am, but I'm not afraid to embrace some of the feminine qualities of myself. Um, yeah. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, what was kind of the, the biggest challenge um, that you kind of faced going through the sort of um, the trans journey? Uh, it's expensive. Okay. <laughs> that was not what I expected. Especially if you want to <laughs> medically transition. Uh, there, there is a lot of uh, emotional stuff that goes with it too, but I've been very fortunate to have a very supportive family. Mm -hmm. I have had a supportive group of friends. When I came out in the military, I had a very supportive uh, group of people around me. And so then it kind of comes down to the money part because for hormone replacement therapy, you have to pay for the appointments, especially not everybody has insurance or insurance back then. This is in 2015. Not everyone had insurance that covered it. But before I could start the hormones, even though I wasn't in need of a therapist before then, I still needed a therapist to like diagnose me with gender dysphoria or back then I think it was gender identity disorder, but it's been since updated to gender dysphoria, mm -hmm. which is more accurate because being transgender is not a disorder. <laughs> And I had to get a letter saying, yep, uh, he can start hormones. And so I started testosterone. And then, well, that sucks too, because it's sticking, uh, one of the ways to do it is sticking a needle inside uh, your leg or stomach or butt once or twice, once a week or once every two weeks. There's different uh, ways to Ouch. get it. But either way, yeah, you have to take some form of hormone replacement therapy for the rest of your life, unless you choose to stop. And then uh, most people uh, opt for some kind of surgical intervention. And so for me, I had a double mastectomy with chest masculinization. And so that cost me out of pocket like $2,000. And that was, so that was after insurance. Um, if I didn't have insurance, that would have cost me like ten dollars to $12,000. Mm. It varies. Some people will travel across the United States to get the surgery by a certain surgeon that they like and maybe for cost reasons. Mm. And then some people choose to have what's called bottom surgery. And if you don't have insurance, that can, it can be a multi-stage surgery. So that can add up to like $150,000. Mm. And so it's expensive. Mm. Goodness. No, I hadn't even thought of the, the financial implication um, and just hearing it explained. Yeah, that that uh, combined with also the other things that you would be going with the financial burden is also it, it's just adding to the burden um i actually don't know in, in the uk um because obviously we have the national health service i have no idea if that kind of thing would fall under that or if it is something that um someone pays it, for themselves yeah it does. Um, it does I, yep i've uh i follow people from the uk who are trans and it does 
for the most part, I believe. You can do private and have to pay for it. But the issue in the UK that I found from just from other people that I've talked with or seen on their posts is that it's a long wait time. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to wait a year and you're ready to have like what's called top surgery, that double masculinization or double mastectomy with masculinization, uh, that can be really hard on your psyche and it can drain you mentally. And if it's contributing to you not being, not what's called passing, um, I like to use the term cis-assumed too, because I'm not always trying to pass as a man. Uh, sometimes I want to embrace my queer identity. And so I just look at it as people assume I'm cisgender. Um, so that's another phrase I've heard. Uh, but if you're being misgendered all the time, and sometimes if you're being harassed or bullied, that can be really hard if you have to wait a year to have that surgery. Mm, absolutely. And I guess if um, I think one thing I've sort of seen from the research and the documentaries that I've watched on the topic is um, if someone is younger um i think they do something like a called a puberty blocker so if it's sort of realized before puberty's hit it can be more beneficial to do yeah, a blocker. hormone blockers mm -hmm. yeah and yeah that again it's the people who know when they're younger and i think our society is moving in that direction that kids are able to be more open with their mm -hmm. gender expression and opportunities to really find themselves without the constraints of society's man and woman, boy and girl expectations. Mm. Uh, it's not the case everywhere, of course, but it's getting better, mm. I think. And <laughs> the issue is not regressing which under the last four years in the U.S., that was pretty hard. Uh, everyone knows who our last president was. <laughs> and I think under him, it made it more difficult to culturally accept some uh, issues like LGBTQ rights, abortion rights, women's rights, that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but I think there's enough people that are vocal and even in the background that are supporting those rights that it can still continue to make that societal shift. A lot of times it's the smaller minority that can be the loudest and that can affect the greatest change for, the, for better or mm. worse. Mm. Absolutely. I want to just um, touch back on something you, you talked about there about upbringing. Um, I, I've ever since I sort of studied psychology at, um, when I was like 18, 19, I've been really interested in this nature versus nurture kind of debate of environmental influences versus things that you're, you're kind of born with. And I think that definitely when I was growing up, there was a sort of, um, you know, like clear. Yeah, okay. So I'll make a reference that you maybe won't understand being in the US, but, um, we, there's this thing called the Argos catalog, or they used to be, which was like basically a book of toys. Um, and at Christmas, you used to open that up and write your your list to Santa um, based on that. And I distinctly remember like a, a divided boys and girls section. The boys section was blue and had action men and guns and cars, etc. in. And the girls section was pink and had, you know, Barbies, um, doll houses and that kind of thing I, like to this day it still kind of upsets me and I'm sure that maybe many people experience confusion and certainly I did when I was growing up of sort of being divided in in such clear-cut terms I really wish that people would be more sort of free about not not categorizing things like that you know if you're a guy and you want to play or sorry if you're a boy and you want to play with a Barbie you know what what is really the harm why is it that that society stereotypes and, and divides in such um, in such a way to kind of isolate or, you know, make it almost a problem when it's really not a problem. It's just whatever interests you. And certainly as a kid, I was drawn more to kind of the 
or in quote air quotes, the girly kind of activities. Um, and it, it's literally done me no harm. My parents were, you know, I was fortunate enough that they were okay with things like that. Um, and, you know, I'm very happy with the person that I am today. But I feel for someone if they were growing up in a kind of environment where that was, you know, not accepted. And I feel like that would push someone even more to to the extremes of unhappiness um, versus sort of self-acceptance. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was Target. Do you have Target in the UK? We don't, but I know what it is. It's kind okay. of probably like the Argos of America. <laughs> okay. I remember... It was like a couple of years ago that they decided to ungender their toy section. Mm. And I don't know, when I look, I still see... It's not like all the toys are mixed. I think they just took down signs that maybe said girls' toys or boys' toys. Mm. But yeah, I remember growing up because I had a... Growing up, I had an older sister that was nine years older than me. And so I didn't play with her too much. But then I had a brother that was uh, three years older. And I remember I went through this, like what they call a tomboy phase in fourth and fifth grade. And so I wore a lot of my brother's hand-me-downs. And luckily, my mom, we would go to a department store called JCPenney and we'd Mm. go shopping for clothes and she'd let me shop in the boys section. And I think that did impact me realizing maybe I was trans at that younger age. But then when I uh, got into sixth grade, in my head, I know that now that there were influences that I didn't realize, I was like, I need to start dressing like a girl. And so I started buying girls clothes and I still felt comfortable in them because Mm. they still I went for like the skater clothes Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and I never mastered skateboarding. I could never even ollie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I but I did learn how to snowboard because my brother. So I know how to snowboard, but not ski. Um, but yeah, I think back to how our society looks at that as well. Mm. And it's one of those things where does the market influence the consumers or do, do the consumers influence the market? Mm. Uh, I think for different products, it goes either way. And so, yeah, what if the uh, big companies started making different toys and really intentionally made them not look gendered? The consumers either would riot or they'd have no choice but to accept. Mm. And so there's a lot of different ways to go about with parenting uh, kids as well. There's a couple that I follow on Instagram that their kid they are raising with the he him, which is some which aligns with uh, the sex assigned at birth mm-hmm. for the child. But they're very open about having that change as the kid grows up and asking the child, like, do you want a haircut? No. Okay. Give them, bring them to the store. Which jacket do you want? And then there's like a pink, green, purple, blue, all different colors. And the kid has the opportunity to choose whichever one. Hmm. And so I think it parenting like that is better for the kids because it's allowing them to choose developing those decision-making techniques. Um, hmm. I'm by no means a person who has studied child development or anything. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm like, it's better to let the kid learn some of these things. Hmm. Uh, I mean, we aren't going to let them choose certain things like always what to eat because they're always going to eat candy, right? <laughs> but <laughs> letting them choose the things that are going to help them have some control over their lives because like any human, you want some control over your life mm-hmm. and letting them express however express themselves however they want to. And that translates to what toys they want, what mm-hmm. they want to wear, how they want to wear their hair. And so looking at it from that aspect, I don't remember how we got on to this deep topic, (laughs) 
from military to I know, <laughs> parent- <we> spiraled. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it all is uh, important to our society and mm-hmm. looking at how our kids in the next generation is growing up because they're going to help shape, shift and shape where we go. Mm. I think it's really interesting where you talked about do the consumers shape it or is it sort of sold to the consumers? Because even when I was talking there as, you know, saying the section of the catalog um, that's pink is for girls and blue for boys. It's kind of like, that is just, I say that naturally because it's so drummed into me, but you know, why, why is that? And, and the same when you were saying about um, growing your hair again, the, the natural in me is, uh, or the natural response within me is that boys have short hair and girls have long. But I think the point yes. I'm trying to get at is that, anything is acceptable for anyone. Um, And I would really love to see that kind of reflected more in the media for sure. Mm -hmm. Certainly when I was growing up um, and, and in even sometimes now and in the sort of recent years of my life, there is this societal kind of perfect illustration of, of what a man should be in terms of manliness and masculinity, not showing too much emotion and things like that. And I've never really lived up to it. Um, and that's something that has been kind of flying under the radar. But now I'm kind of choosing to embrace the fact that I am different and I'm proud of not living up to that expectation and, and that standard. And I think society is is kind of almost moving away from that in terms of the, um, certainly there's, it's not as unacceptable for a man to show emotion and things like that. I think we're seeing that more in the media, which is a good thing about showing real feelings and um, emotion and things like that. Yeah, that's huge. And then I feel like you're when you look at the trans community, transitioning from one societal expectation to another has a great impact too. Because mm. sometimes I feel like it's especially when you're not in a big city, you're in a just smaller city, let's say 30,000 or less, and then even more. So if you get to like a 5,000 less or less population of a city, there's different expectations of what a man is. Like you were saying, don't show emotion, mm-hmm. boys don't cry, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so as like a transgender man, what happens when you're transitioning from a woman to a man and all of a sudden what was accepted before of you being emotional about something, you're like, oh, I can't do that anymore. And mm-hmm. But that's not true. But depending where you are, that might be the expectation. And so how do you navigate that? And if you want to stay where you are, you love your city, you love your town. How do you not get harassed or bullied because of how you are now acting and it's acting out of what their norm for a man is? And a lot of times I feel like trans men will really get involved in uh, going to the gym and trying Mm. to form their bodies into what uh, they see as the perfect man. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can be detrimental to mental health. Sometimes it's like actually crafting their body into what they want it to be. I think that's more important is, especially when it comes to like health and fitness, how Mm -hmm. do you want to look? And why, even more importantly, why? Is it you just like like bodybuilders? A lot of times they just they just love it. Mm. I could never be a bodybuilder. I can't <laughs> restrict my diet that much. I love chocolate too much. But some people, that's just what they want. And so it's coming from more of a intrinsic motivation and internal want versus trying to fit a societal expectation. Mm. And so as trans people move throughout their transition, they might approach things from different lenses and perspectives and wants and needs and desires. And so it's too much to really delve into this podcast about, but those are some (laughs) of the things that I think everybody needs to think about. And I've just seen it in the trans community in that way. But that's the same for, uh, the LGB community is moving from being a straight person 
which mm-hmm. is society's unfortunate default. And what does it look like to be in a gay relationship? Who's the man and who's the woman in this relationship, oh my right? God, I hate that question. <laughs> it's like, uh, we're both the man, we're both the woman. That's we're the point both, of a gay We're both non-binary. It's like, ah. <laughs> oh. Don't try and shoehorn me into your societal norms or... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I feel that. Um, yeah, I think I as long as you're doing something for yourself rather than, uh, what is it like the, the phrase that goes, um, choose want, not should, in terms of I want to do this, not I should do it. So, you know, like you say, if you're a trans man and you want to go to the gym, that's great, but don't go because you feel like society thinks you, you should. I think that's at the core of what I kind of believe in and try and go for. Mm-hmm. Our conversation has definitely naturally led us to this point, which is wonderful. Um, and I'll, I'll start with a bit of a, a curveball way of saying it, but have you watched Ted Lasso? <sighs> I feel like I've heard the name, but I haven't watched. Okay. It's on um, it's on Apple TV. Uh, it's an amazing show. It's very, very funny, but it has a lot of attention on uh, mental health as well. And there was this wonderful phrase um, or quote that I've taken from it, though I think it's them quoting someone else, and that that is disadvantage has its advantages. And now when I first heard that, I kind of thought, okay, that's maybe slightly controversial in trying to say that, you know, if you're disadvantaged, it's actually an advantage. But sort of looking at it into it further, the mindset that I've taken from it, and I actually kind of agree with this quote now, is that maybe the fact that I've not stuck to society's norms and not led, uh, air quotes again, normal life is a good thing. And the fact that I have made more proactive choices for me and and thought about things a bit more rather than just going along with a societal norm and, and what society expects from me. Um, I'm going to guess that you have a lot of experience of this. I, I first want to say, do you kind of agree with that quote? Um, and has it kind of provided you any kind of insight into your life? Um, and, and do you agree? Have you kind of experienced that kind of thing? I totally agree that disadvantage is an advantage. Of course, there are situations that contradict that statement. But for me, being transgender and uh, bisexual and queer, you look at it by a societal standpoint, that's a huge disadvantage. (laughs) As we talked about, uh, financially, emotionally, uh, there's a smaller selection of people to choose from to uh, become in a relationship with because the population is, what, 10%? Uh, LGBT, and then you narrow that down of who is okay with being a trans with a transgender person because it can be difficult in different ways. And sexual attraction, you can't always make happen mm-hmm. in chemistry and all that stuff. So yeah, you look at it from that point, it's a disadvantage. But I feel like it is one of my greatest advantages because I wouldn't be nowhere near the person I am today if I didn't have that experience. I've had to encounter situations, learn how to navigate them, get through obstacles, and developed a lot of uh, mental resiliency Mm. through those. I've developed uh, stronger coping mechanisms. um, And I am also privileged in being neurotypical. And so I don't struggle with a lot of uh, things that a lot of other people in the LGBTQ plus community do in regards to mental health. Uh, When a bad thing happens to me, it's a lot easier for me, since I'm neurotypical, uh, to get through it. And I feel like, and then you add on the military part of it. uh, What is it? One, I think 7% of the United States population has served in the military, and 1% of the population is currently serving in the United States military. So incredibly small. Mm. And 
some people might look at being in the military as a disadvantage because there's can be a lot of uh, trauma associated with it, with deployments and everything. I've been fortunate not to have experienced a lot of the things that could be uh, create trauma being in the military. And so for me, that's been an advantage. Um, and I'm able to participate in different organizations and f- uh, find new communities that really foster being queer in today's society uh, and work with different organizations and different people that I never would have probably otherwise met. And I think it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. We got some fun gay bars. We got <laughs> drag and different cultures that are unique to being queer. And like I said, that. Those are things that I would have never experienced had I not been born a queer and trans person. Mm. I think community is definitely a big part of the LGBTQ plus uh, community (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in terms of like inclusivity. And it just feels, you know, um, part of something. It's everyone's united, you know, like going to pride and things like that. It's powerful Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, Yeah. It feels amazing to be a part of um, and also to acknowledge the kind of history um, of sort of forging our way in society. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. So in terms of your coaching services and the, the coaching that you provide to individuals, is this in some, um, is this part of why you decided to specialize in coaching the the queer community in terms of what we've been talking about there? Yeah, so it, I have an interesting path, I feel like, to even beginning coaching. So around this past new year so around january 1st 2021 i'm a person who likes new year's resolutions it's not for everybody but i like it and i like to look back and reflect and i knew i wanted to create like a side hustle and i was trying to figure out okay what skills experiences do i have that i can offer and i was looking at well i know public speaking i've won some business competitions i i can help people with that and i have a passion for entrepreneurship i have a degree in cultural entrepreneurship um and so i'm doing some googling and i used to think life coaching was like like slimy and scammy (laughs) Uh, like back in back in the day i don't remember why it just that was what i remembered and then i'm googling and stuff like coaching is coming up and i'm like "Hmm." and then uh my my fiance's brother's girlfriend uh i met her at some point and she is a business coach Mm -hmm. and so I'm like okay so I'm following her on Instagram I'm like learning I'm like okay so this this is like legit okay (laughs) and then I'm looking at oh do I need a certification so I'm talking to her asking she's like I don't have one blah 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 Uh, and so because it's not a regulated industry and I'm looking at coaching certification options and I'm like oh well that that looks scammy like just do this online thing for over a weekend and it's like "Mm mm-mm Hmm. And I ended up finding this program called uh, Journey. It's J-R-N-I. If anyone signs up through them, tell them I sent you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But what I liked is in all their marketing and everything, it was really diverse. And that's what what was important to me. And it was an investment, but I was also currently in an MBA program. And I ended up leaving that program because I realized it didn't align with what I really wanted. And then I invested in the coaching program and it was six months long. I just completed it this past August and I've made incredible connections, friends, and it's a large uh, community on Facebook now that I can always tap into. And so working through that, I first thought of uh, being a business coach for queer entrepreneurs. And I was like, well, I can help with the business, but that's not, I really want to help with the person, Mm -hmm. not, not the business. 
And so then I switched to, uh, I can't remember what it was, not personal development. I didn't call it that. Uh, And then I pivoted again and I'm like, personal development. And that's kind of what I actually started out with as just for queer people. But then I narrowed it down more and more. And so then I went away from just queer entrepreneurs. I was like, oh, I'm, maybe I should just do entrepreneur. Should I narrow myself? And then I decided to go back. I'm like, nope, queer people. That's who I really want to help. And I want to help the entrepreneur because I feel like that is your biggest asset as yourself. It's not your business because you're probably going to have several businesses throughout your life. And so that's how I narrowed it down is me having the experience as being a queer and trans person and having that business background. And uh, I love self-help books. I'm just that kind of person (laughs) and self-help podcasts. (laughs) Some people are like, oh, I I hate those. I'm like, I love them. Mm. And so that's uh, how I came into the personal development part. And so I feel like my experiences and knowledge really fits well into helping queer entrepreneurs specifically at all stages of their business. Um, I, I help people that currently are running their business and they've been in it for a couple of years, people who are just starting something out of a necessity. Mm-hmm. And then people who are still have the day job and they're working on growing their business into becoming their full-time job. And so there's across the spectrum of what I would say are types of entrepreneurs at different stages of their journey. They all need help in different ways. And personal development is something that is always an important uh, key to keep working with because you are your greatest asset, mm-hmm. not your business. Yeah, definitely. Well, you have such a wealth of experience to to offer, so I'm really not surprised. And the role definitely suits you. And um, I'm I'm a personal development addict as well. Someone um sort of taught me the way to think of it is like um these personal development books and things like that. It's kind of like your software update. That's what you should see it as. You're yeah, updating like your that. firmware, <laughs> which I really love, and I've I've run with that. Um, yeah, I thought of it as like the the back end of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because we're always growing, we're always changing. Um, so I think it's, and the, the things that you put in, they do help and they do reside. So absolutely. Um, I'm with you 100% on that. I'd like to ask you to comment if you think this is your your true purpose um, and also how you might encourage others to to also find that in their life. I believe that my true purpose is helping people and even more specifically helping queer people, whether that is through coaching, uh, through speaking, through writing, through podcasting, through videos, through support groups, who knows? For me, it is not limited to the means, it's limited to the impact. So the impact is helping other queer people reach their full potential. So that isn't always going to translate to helping queer entrepreneurs. Uh, That's just the means that feels right and aligned right now. And so for speaking engagements, I don't just speak to queer entrepreneurs, I speak to uh, corporations, uh, small businesses, nonprofits, uh, anybody that's wanting to hear my story or listen about some personal development uh, tools. And so to people that are looking for what their purpose is, I think it's already inside of you. You just haven't peeled the layers back enough yet because that's what happened to me over this past New Year's is realizing what it was. And it was those little epiphanies and little insights and being, the biggest thing is being open. I'm a big proponent of believing in the universe and the universe will provide. I'm not a religious person. I'm not like a super spiritual person, but I believe that if we are open and it's hard to define really what open is. Uh, For example, this fall summer-ish, I was working with a money coach and I was like, I want to leave my current job by the end of this year. I'm like, it's going to happen. 
in my head, I was thinking, I'm going to start coaching full time. That's that's how it's going to happen. And then one night I was like, I, I'm just going to apply for this job. It was like 11 p.m. I my resume wasn't really updated. I'm like, meh, all right. And then like a week later, I get an email saying, hey, we want to interview. And I'm like, well, what? Oh, this just got serious. <laughs> and so then I set up the interview. I do the interview. It goes really well. And uh, apparently it's a four round interview process. And I'm like, okay, let's wow. see where this goes. And just over a month later, after four interviews, I got the job offer. And so I'm going to be starting a new position by the end of this year. It's it's not coaching, but that's not what the universe had in store for me. Mm. The universe had in store getting me out of my current job because I wasn't making me happy anymore. I wasn't being fulfilled. And so it's giving, putting me into a new position that I didn't realize was going to be there. It, I feel like there's nudges from the universe that are pushing you in different directions. And so if you're open and you're listening, it will give you those little signs or nudges of the direction to go in. And so that's what happened with uh, coaching because I signed up for the coaching certification like the night before enrollment ended hmm. and they just so happened to start offering that course during a weeknight when I could attend better than on a weekend. And so it was just the universe aligning things for me. Hmm. And whether you want to believe that or not, that's up to you. I choose to believe it and it's been opening different doors for me. And so if you are open and ready to receive those signs and nudges from the universe. And that means also consuming things that you feel are aligned with you, whether that's books or podcasts, you still have to do the action. You can't sit on the couch and binge Netflix and expect a <laughs> million dollars to fall in your lap. Um, and so this is getting in the lines of manifestation. And there's a lot of cultural mm -hmm. stuff, uh, background with manifestation that I still have to do more research on. And your purpose isn't always going to be as narrow as you think. Like I said, for me, it's helping people and helping queer people, mm. not coaching, not writing, not speaking. That's the means to do my purpose. Mm. I love that distinction. And I think you, yeah, that um, you've made a good point uh, throughout sort of this interview of distinguishing the the means um, from the result. And I think that's, that's really clever and a, a great way of thinking of it. And what you just described there to me is kind of like... Um, for me, I don't really believe in coincidence or, or things like luck. I find that um, a little bit sort of degrading when someone says, you know, oh, you were lucky to get that job. And it's like, no, I, it's the way I've sort of designed it and what I've put yes. out into the world. It's kind of like the, the law of attraction. Nothing, um, yes. everything happens for a reason. I like to to think that and, and believe that. And it's serving well so far. Um, and just quickly, I want to talk about your, your recent book release as well. So congratulations on being a published author. Thank you. You're welcome. Thriving in Business Strategies for LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs even, was released on the 5th of October. Um, tell us, how was the launch um, and how did all that go? Yes, yeah, so I was one of 14 queer authors who contributed to this book. It was published by the Pride and Joy Foundation, which is an awesome nonprofit. And they decided to start publishing books. They don't want to go through like Simon and & Schuster and Penguin and whatever all the other ones are. And so they worked with a uh, distribution company to get the layout and design and all that kind of stuff done. And we did a huge pre-sale back in September. I can't remember the dates. And we just bombarded the internet of get this book. So there's 14 plus of us, you know, sending out the messages by the pre-sale. And there's a paper shortage if you haven't heard right now. And so the, you could only pre-sale, uh, yeah, pre-purchase the Kindle version. Mm -hmm. But we ended up making some of the Amazon bestseller lists. Wow. Uh, but what was interesting about that 
is it was like women and LGBTQ or something. And it's like, mm, that's not quite right. I think we made number se- seven or something in entrepreneurship, that category. So that was cool. Uh, so we, we got pretty high in several of the bestseller categories. And so it's officially a bestseller. <laughs> and but what's awesome, because there isn't a distinct category for this book, because it's I've never seen anything like it. Mm. 14 queer authors coming together to talk about business. There's no other book that I can think of like it. If anyone else knows of a book, send me a message and <laughs> call them out about it. But uh, so the because that there was bestsellers in categories that didn't quite feel right, mm. uh, the distribution company is officially petitioning the U.S. Library of Congress to add two additional national book categories, non-binary and LGBTQ plus business. And so that would be amazing if those go through because there's so many books that could go into that too. And now I think the the nonprofit Pride and Joy Foundation, they're looking at doing another similar book like this, but focused on uh, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And so this is a catalyst, and I'm excited to see where it goes, how far we can get this book. Uh, One of my friends from my coaching program, she manages a Barnes & Noble in Georgia, I think, and she says she's going to be ordering it for her store. So it's going to be in a Barnes & Noble, a national bookseller store. And so I told her, I'm like, send me a picture once it's on the shelves. That's going to be amazing. Oh, awesome. Oh, well, I'll continue to watch the news to see um, if that goes through for the the National Library of Congress. That is exciting. And as you say there, um, that word catalyst, amazing. Love that use of that word. Um, and yeah, I definitely agree. And then you have a, another amazing book coming out on the 9th of November with Honour and Integrity, Transgender Troops in Their Own Words. Yes, yeah, so that one's another one I contributed to along with uh, several other mem- openly transgender members of the US military from across the branches and components. That one has actually been in the works for like three years. Wow. It's been in the works for a while. It started I, under the Trump administration when gathering the stories. And so my story that I wrote in it, I think it's from the perspective of me in 2018 or 2019. Uh, it's it's still relevant. All the stories are relevant because it's going to have a preface saying because it started under the Trump administration when uh, the trans ban went back into effect. Mm. For me, I was grandfathered in under the old policy, but for people who were not, they all of a sudden couldn't transition anymore. They couldn't be their authentic selves. And so under the new Biden administration that we're currently in, he fixed it again. Mm. And so now transgender troops can serve openly and get the care that they need and deserve. So what's amazing about this book is that many of the people in the book are still serving. And they're allowed to be open and proud about it again. And this, like I said, this book has been multiple years in the making. And this one is published by a uh, a bigger publishing company. So I'm. it might be in like more Barnes and Nobles and other booksellers that people can also purchase it. And it's coming out around uh, Veterans Day in the U.S. Mm. And so I'm hoping it's going to kind of take off and a lot of people will be able to hear these stories because... Some of the stories have been out. There's a documentary that's on Amazon Prime called Trans Military. And so it's talking about transgender military service in the U.S., but back in 
20 before 2015 and so things have changed a lot since then Mm. luckily now under this year uh for the better but i think it's going to give people a different perspective on what it means to be transgender in the military because people also don't realize that a higher percentage of trans people within the trans community uh serve in or have served in the U.S. military than the general population. So transgender people are more likely to serve. Wow. Uh, And it's a crazy statistic. Yeah. Sometimes it's I believe it's from the Rand Corporation. Uh, And it's because of sometimes that hyper masculine culture. So like trans men might be they're more accepted to be masculine in that Mm. culture. And trans women are sometimes uh, trying to get away from those feelings because trans women are more discriminated against than trans men because men are more accepted in our society. And so uh, they might be trying to get away from that. And then sometimes it's just a call to serve. Uh, So it's different for everyone. But yeah, I found that statistic very surprising as well. Mm. No, thank you for sharing. And thank you for giving us insight into the book. I can't wait for it to be out. Um, and yeah, I'll give that a read when it's released. And congratulations on um, becoming a best-selling author for the other book. And yeah, congratulations on the upcoming book as well. Amazing stuff. Thank you. I'm hoping there's more books in the future. So do you know what? It's one of my ambitions to write a book as well. And I, yeah, I'm. <laughs> if you can give me a few tips after this, that'd be great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, we've just hit that hour mark. Bastian, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me and for being so open and so honest um, and so ready to discuss the, these issues and the matters raised. Um, I really appreciate it. And it's been a pleasure to chat. It's been amazing to be on here and have these conversations. I think we need more conversations like this one that are more candid and across different topics that people don't know about or like we talked about might be uncomfortable with. Because being uncomfortable is where we grow. There's a difference between being unsafe and uncomfortable. And unsafe, we don't need to go into those. Uncomfortable, that's where we can stretch and grow. Mm, Absolutely. Amazing advice. A lovely way to end. And and thanks so much again. Thank you so much for listening, fellow imperfectionist. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And I hope it has inspired you to get closer to your true purpose in life. If you have a question thoughts on this episode or suggestions of topics or even future guests i would love to hear from you visit pickingupperfection.com slash participate you can also follow me on my socials instagram linkedin and even contact me via email links for all of this are in the show notes see you next time